0: Good morning, everyone. Well, as, as Chris has said, we're finishing off our summer series on Peter. So the bad news is the summer's nearly over. <laughs> but the good news is that I think from today's, it's a great way to finish our study of Peter. We've learned a lot from him along the way. And last week, as Chris said, we were left with the position, of that sad moment where Peter denies Christ. And I don't know if you remember, Ben gave us a formula. Can anyone remember that from last week? Extra prize, if you can, except for Ben. Yes, Karen? Arrogance plus plus temptation leads to a fall. So we're going to look at the life of Peter this morning, and we're going to try and work out how does Peter get from falling, denying Jesus, to actually declaring Jesus on the day of Pentecost. That lovely word there, transformation. What happened in his life. And if Ben gave us a a formula, I'm not going to do a maths formula this week, but I'm going to give you four keys to Peter's transformation. They're very simple, very basic. And children, if you can remember, all four of them at the end, give it five minutes after the end of the service and come to me. There'll be a few little sweeties to tempt you to listen this morning. hope that's not bad. So we're going to look at four keys that transform Peter's life. And I think the the important thing for us to realize is that same process that transformed Peter is what we need in our lives to transform us from not always being willing to share to boldly speaking about Jesus. So that's what we're looking at this morning. And we're going to jump a little bit about, not not too far. We're not going to look too much at the passage we had read. We're going to see what's happened in between Peter denying Jesus and actually when he's ready to stand up and speak For Jesus. So we're just going to see a few things from what goes on in between before we actually get to the day of Pentecost itself. So what's the first thing? Well, we do know Jesus rose again. He appeared to the disciples in the upper room and he's had various encounters with them. But I think the most important one for us as we look at the life of Peter is what happens in John chapter 21. So you can just flip your Bible one page back and you'll see the end of John's gospel. Now, again, we don't have time to read the whole chapter. It's a well-known story where Peter, after not being quite sure what to do, says to a couple of the other disciples, Well, I don't know what's going on. Let's go fishing. And so we find Peter, ironically, back where we first met him at the beginning of our series, fishing. And Jesus comes to him again and calls him again. And we have this amazing story of how Jesus restores him and so graciously challenging him those three times, saying, Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter's saying, yes, Lord, you know I do, and and giving him that new command, Peter, feed my sheep. We see that amazing restoration of relationship between Peter and Jesus. And I find it interesting, as you look through the story, when it comes to the close, you look in verse 19, uh, Jesus says, Jesus tells Peter in verse 18, more or less how that he's going to die and bring glory to God that way. And his last words to him as he finishes off this little encounter of this, then he said to him, follow me. There would be no Peter preaching at Pentecost if he had not restored his relationship with Jesus and begun to follow him again. And ironically, it's one of these funny things that Peter, not maybe being too keen on the kind of death Jesus has hinted at, turns around and sees the the Apostle John and says, well, what about him? And Jesus says, well, if sort of paraphrasing, don't worry about him. Whatever happens to him is not your business. And he calls him again at the end of verse 22. You must follow me. The only thing that Jesus is asking Peter is to follow him. And I think that's the same for us this morning. We're not being asked, as we think about speaking the word of God boldly to people, we're not being asked to be Billy Graham. We're not being asked to be Louis Palau or one of these famous evangelists. Maybe we're not even asked to preach up front or do somebody what somebody else is doing in the church. We're asked by Jesus, follow me in your situation, your context. And I think if we're honest here today, and I hold my hand up to this, probably many of us feel a bit like Peter last week. We've failed the Lord. We've let him down. When it's come time to share, we've shied away. Maybe we haven't gone as far as denying him verbally, but perhaps our actions have done that. Perhaps our silence has effectively denied our faith in Christ. And we can all fall into that feeling of, I've let down the Lord again. And I think what we, what we learn from this story about Jesus' restoration of Peter is that he is so gracious and loving with us when we come to him, and he comes again and says, follow me. He wants that relationship with us. So that's our first word for this morning. We cannot speak boldly for Jesus if we're not in a relationship with him, or if we're following from afar like Peter did when Jesus was arrested. We have to be following him, and Jesus comes to each of us this morning and says, it doesn't matter how many times you failed me. It doesn't matter if you've not spoken up for me. This is my word to you. Follow me. A relationship with Christ. Then, as we look on in the story, we're flipping into Acts chapter 1, which uh, Chris read some of it to us. We find another very simple thing that will help us speak boldly, and that is prayer. If you read verses 12, uh, it says, The apostles, after Jesus has ascended, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, which was a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, and all the other disciples except, of course, Judas. And note what it says in verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. United prayer was vital for them before they moved out in ministry. And that's a pattern we see repeated throughout the early chapters of Acts and throughout church history. Note there would be no Peter preaching at Pentecost If he had not spent time seeking God, praying with his fellow believers in that upper room. The Bishop of Coventry, I'm not sure which version of him, but one of them has said this. Prayer is that apparently useless activity without which all activities are useless. It's a little bit cryptic, but he's saying if you're not praying, everything else you do is going to be useless. Even if you sometimes feel like your prayers are useless. They're not. They're vital. And it's not just something we see throughout the book of Acts, the believers coming together to pray. We see it throughout the New Testament. Look what Paul says to the Colossians. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. What is Paul asking? He's saying, please join with me in prayer. Pray that the door will open for our message. Pray that when it does, I can speak it clearly. Excuse me. A bit of blood's coming out. That was at yesterday's DIY accident. I forgot to put a plaster on this morning. I'll just tell you, it's quite funny, because I trapped my hands between two pieces of wood, and then as I stuck it on the shelf, I drilled up into my thumb. So <laughs> not a good day, but... Paul says this, devote yourselves to prayer. If he's saying that, and if he's asking for prayer from the Colossian church, to be able to speak it clearly, how much more do we need to be praying for that same thing? We're totally dependent on God, and prayer is that vital part of being able to share clearly. So how about us as individuals, as a church? Are we seeking God in prayer so that we might have opportunities to share? Are we seeking God in prayer so that we might speak in the right way when those doors are opened? Are we praying for those people we're sharing with? We cannot do anything without prayer. And Peter could not have stood up at Pentecost without being in prayer. So we've had our our first two blocks. Relationship with Jesus, follow me, and prayer. But look what else goes on as these disciples are waiting on, on the Holy Spirit. We haven't got to Pentecost yet as you read, read the first chapter, you'll see that Jesus gives them a very simple command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. Acts 1, verse 4. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Now, I can imagine Peter, as we've seen throughout this last series, is kind of impetuous, a little bit full of himself, outgoing, loud, and always thought he knew the right answer. And I can imagine that at this point, he would be saying, well, I've done my three years seminary training with Jesus. I've been on mission trips. I've, yes, I wobbled a bit last week denying Jesus, but I've seen the risen Lord. He's forgiven me. He's restored me. He's told me to feed the sheep. I'm ready. Let's get on with it. I can imagine Peter wanting to run to Jerusalem and start preaching. But Jesus says, wait. Wait till you receive the promise. And I think it's a very simple principle. We need to obey God in what we already know before we think we should go out and do all kinds of other things. To be honest, if we simply obeyed God in what we do know, it would transform us as individuals and as a church. Nothing I'm saying today is new. You all know you need a relationship with Jesus. You all know we need to be in prayer. But so often, we don't put it into practice. And we have very clear commands from Jesus. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I am sure, I am surely am with you always to the very end of the age. A pretty clear command. Go witness. John puts it this way in John 20, As the Father has sent me, uh, so I am sending you. How did the Father send Jesus? In humility, in obedience, even obedience even to death as we read in Philippians 2. Evangelism, sharing about Jesus, being a witness is not an optional extra for those who are good at it. Being a witness is a primary part of our identity as a follower of Jesus. It's a primary part of our identity. As somebody's put it in one of the books I'm going to show in a minute, you don't get a free pass out of evangelism, because God didn't make you to be an evangelist. And that can often be our excuse, isn't it? Well, I'm just not gifted at this. My gift is something else, serving, preaching, whatever it is. Even for those of us in mission, I'm okay to share. I was sharing at Hill House last week with my little group of, my little tent of boys. Very happy to share there. But if my neighbor comes out the door and says, are you off to church? Yes. And, you know, and I'm off running that's not how it should be. It's, it's, a, it's a command, something we know we need to do. And if we just get on with obeying what God has already told us, it will change us. But we also see, and I, we don't, just don't have time to really jump into this, but as you look through Acts 1, you'll see that as they're waiting for this gift they've been promised, they're not just in prayer, they're also in the Word you'll see Peter evaluating the situation of Judas no longer being an apostle, having betrayed Jesus and hung himself. And as he studies the scripture, he says, actually, guys, I think the scriptures are telling us we need to find somebody else who was with Jesus right from the beginning to be one of us. And so the last thing they do, as you read through Acts 1, is they appoint Matthias to be the 12th apostle, to be that 12th person who is with them the whole time. So I think we see from Peter that he was a student of the word and of the world. He understood the situation he was in because he was digging into God's word and applying it to him. And as you look through Peter's sermon, all of chapter 2, well, most of chapter 2, you'll see Peter referring to scriptures time and again, telling the people listening, guess what, what you've seen and heard, that's the prophet Joel. Guess what, what happened to Jesus? That's what David was talking about in the Psalms. He was a student of the Word. He didn't have a Bible. He couldn't pick it up like we do, or look Google it, Google the verse you need. He had to be pouring through dusty old manuscripts, listening to what they spoke in the synagogue weekly, but somehow he'd got the Word of God into him, and he was able to apply it in his own life and in his hearers. So I think sometimes we're not able to to speak boldly because we don't know the Word of God well enough. And that's a shame because we, this generation has it easier than any other generation to date. And other times we don't speak boldly because we don't understand the context we're in. We see that throughout the book of Acts, how the people preach in a way that reaches the audience, whether it's Peter on the day of Pentecost, Paul chapter 13 speaking to the synagogue, or Paul in chapter 17 speaking to those leaders in Athens. So there would be no sermon from Peter at Pentecost if he wasn't obedient to God's word and knew how to apply it to his audience. And I think this can be a challenge for us. So I brought a resource that you might want to look at. Come and talk to me about it afterwards if you're interested. Ben passed this book on to me. It's called Plugged In. Connecting your faith with what you you read, watch, read, and play. Trying to understand the culture we're in and then being able to challenge other people as to how our faith fits into that, and invite them to learn about Jesus. Another resource for those of us who say, yes, I know I need to share, but I don't know how, a book I've mentioned previously by Rico Tice, Honest Evangelism, where he talks about the pain line of being willing to share even though you know you're going to get hostility. And it's very simple, some very simple helps. We have effectively no, no excuse. Between the resources like that, And the Bible we have in our hands, we have no excuse not to be sharing our faith with others. And yet, so often we fail. So I've got my three things, relationship, prayer, obedience. So often we don't speak when we should. So often we keep quiet when we could speak up. Why is that? Because we're afraid, we're embarrassed. We're all of those things. We make excuses. So what was the dramatic difference for Peter? Yes, it was his relationship with Christ was restored. Yes, they were in prayer. Yes, he was a student of the word. But, and this is where our last thing comes, Peter at Pentecost spoke boldly because Peter was full of the Holy Spirit. Let's read, see how it plays out in Acts. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will receive power, in other words, to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as we have read, had read to us, Acts 2, verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. This is a transformed Peter who's gone, as Chris said, from Denying Jesus to now standing up, willing to be counted. Not just not denying Jesus as he did before a servant girl, but now speaking in front of a whole crowd. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to speak boldly like that. There would be no Peter preaching at Pentecost without the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. And this is a pattern you see in Acts. If you flip to see what... The, there's many things we could say about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But I just want to pick on two that I think will help us as we think about speaking boldly for him. What we've already mentioned, it's not just at Pentecost. We see it other places in Acts. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I think many times we think I've got to drum up the courage. I've got to just make myself bold. I think we've got it the wrong way around. We need to allow the Spirit to put that boldness in us. And the good news is that we don't actually have to convince or persuade anyone. It's not our job to make people become Christians. It's our job to share. The Holy Spirit, as we could read through the, through the chapters 14 to 16 of John, one of his roles is to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's, that's the Holy Spirit's work, not mine. My role is to open my mouth and let him speak boldly through me. My role is to be the mouthpiece. His role will do the convicting, the convincing, and bring and the new birth. That's nothing to do with us. And so we don't have to worry. We don't have to feel a weight of, well, what if I don't know what to say? What if I'm, you know, they ask me a question I can't answer. What if, what if? Just speak. That's what the Holy Spirit will enable you to do. And the amazing news is that as you, as you flip through the... Peter's sermon, he gets to the end and the people respond saying, you know, what should we do? And Peter replies in verse 38, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. We each have received that gift if we have put our faith in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit in us so we don't have to think well I'm on my own in this now I think probably what happens and this is something I think I find in my own life is that very often yes Pentecost was a one off the Holy Spirit was poured out on that day but very often I am not full of the Spirit we need to be being filled with the Spirit as it says in Ephesians 5 18 be filled with the Spirit that's an ongoing thing Or as Paul tells the Galatians, keep in step with the Spirit. It's not that we need more of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God. You can't have more or less of him. You have him or you don't. The problem is that he needs to have more of us. Because we so often grieve the Spirit, as Paul says to the Ephesian church as well. Or even quench the Spirit, as he tells the Thessalonians. We hide sin within us. We have idols that are not supposed to be there. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so often I fill that temple with sin, with idolatry, and I don't deal with it, and then the Holy Spirit has no room to move. I don't need more of him. I need him to have more of me. I need to let him get the broom, sweep out the idols. I need to let him deal with the sin, confessing it, confessing it to others, sorting it out, so that he can truly fill me, because that's the final piece of this Transformation of Peter's life. Him being full of the Holy Spirit. That's what moved him from denying Jesus in front of a servant girl to declaring Jesus to a crowd of more than 3,000. That is what we need in our life. And so we, we have four questions to evaluate ourselves. How are we doing in our relationship with Christ? How much are we seeking him in prayer? How much attention are we paying to the Word of God and applying it, doing what we already know? How much room do we give the Spirit to fill us? That's what transformed Peter's life and what will transform ours. I want to get practical for a moment. I've given you those two resources and do feel free to come and have a look at them. There are also ways we can reach out to others through one-to-one Bible studies. And that will help us if we're thinking, well, I'm not quite sure how to sit down with someone. Well, there's resources like this produced by the same publisher, different author, Uncovering the Life of Jesus, Studies in Luke. And this next one, one one-to-one, The Word, one-to-one, which is a study of John's gospel. And I'm going to hand over to Ben because he's going to give us a couple of minutes on that. And then Chris will come up. So thanks, Ben.